Welcome back to Pick Up the Phone. This is Camelia, and today I'm actually joined by somebody other than just myself. We have a caller on the line. Who are we speaking with? Hello, uh, this is Grant <laughs> from college. Hi, Grant from college. <laughs> it's been a while. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. Today, Grant is going to be our desk chair expert talking about the science and the art behind comedy. And we're going to be unpacking some of the nerdy side of what makes things funny. This is Camelia. Please pick up the phone. Before we dive into all of that, Grant, how do we know each other? Uh, let's see. How long ago was it now? I think it was four years ago when you auditioned for the college improv team that I was a part of. And I still remember that we, on on the back of our audition sheets, we always asked people to draw a picture. You came in late and drew <laughs> a picture on the back of you running down Main Street, uh, huffing and puffing <laughs> because you were late, which was very funny. <laughs> I Oh my but, God. I remember that too. I actually, yeah. I had really wanted to get more involved with comedy in college and I knew that improv auditions were happening, but I was just like, not sure if it was something that I really wanted to do. And I was on the phone with my parents right before. And I was like, oh, I was going <laughs> to go to this like comedy audition thing, but I'm running late. So like, I don't know if I'll go. And my mom was like, you're an idiot. Go. <laughs> like the worst thing that happens is they just reject you. And I was like, fine. And then I, yeah, ran all the way down Main Street to, to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you auditioned and and we cast you and then we were doing improv together once a week for like 3 years straight or 4 years straight mm-hmm. or however long it was. Even through the <laughs> pandemic, that was a weird yeah, time for sure improv. Was. One time for a summer camp, I had to do like a comedic sketch. I don't know why why I was a part of this, but they were just like you kids are doing a a skit for the whole camp and I had to be like the funny man and everyone else got to do normal stuff. And I had to sing a, a Katy Perry song in like huge, like screaming off key, like the worst. <laughs> and I still remember it. I was, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> did it, uh, did it spark anything in you thinking like, Oh, maybe making people laugh is going to be a lifelong passion. Um, Probably not that moment. That moment was more like, maybe I'll never <laughs> go into my mouth again. But I definitely remember the the point where I went from like, oh, it's a nice feeling to, you know, get a laugh sometimes to like, oh, I really like this. Like, I want to figure out how to make comedy be more than just like a casual conversation thing. Mm. Do you? How did How did you come to being interested in comedy? Um, from a pretty young age, like maybe like young teenager, I definitely had a fascination with the fact that comedy is kind of, uh, it's like a truth lens, you know, it's the way that people show others the reality of their world, or it's, it's how a a writer or a performer or a a comedian can, uh, take a value judgment about their surroundings and, uh, and speaking truth suddenly makes it funny. And I, I think that's so fascinating. And, uh, that said, I had absolutely no desire to do it myself until, um, in, in high school, my mom demanded that I like join a club because she didn't want me around the house so often. Wow. Both of our moms and... really helped us along in this journey. <laughs> yeah, I guess they did. 
but I was just scrolling through the list of like clubs at my high school. I saw improv and I was familiar because of like whose lines is anyway. And I was like, okay, there will probably be less people there. It'll be like a little thing. So I'll just show up and, and just cock it up and leave. And I never have to think about it again. And I showed up to auditions and there it was a packed room. There were so many people there for improv auditions for some reason. And so I, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to make a fool of myself in front of many people, some of which I recognize from my classes and things like that. And so I, I tried and then they cast me <laughs> and I was stuck. It's such a love and a passion for you. <laughs> well, I, I forced had that. into it by your mother, <laughs> stuck there by peer pressure. It's it's really unfortunate for you that you happen to be funny. Yeah, I, I definitely had that moment though. I either at auditions or like maybe the first show or something like that, where it's like, wow, going up on stage and making people laugh is an incredibly intoxicating power. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it just feels really, really good. And then even more than that, when you go up on stage and make people laugh in a way that everybody feels smart, you know, when you make a joke that uh, that has subtext behind it, that has something to say, and then everybody in the room feels more intelligent as a result of that that being said, that's the real the real joy comes out of uh, doing this kind of work. Right. I totally agree. Um, and that's something I remember you saying when we were in improv. Um, when I was in improv in college, Grant was the captain, head, what do we call it? Uh, God King Pharaoh, I believe was my official title. You know, every year we have different people who are in charge, but I think that Grant, your year, you um, really helped to bring comedy theory into our practices and help us have these conversations about let's actually take a look back at the scene that we just did and analyze what things we liked and what things we didn't, which sounds really mm. funny when you're talking about improv comedy because there's no script for it. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do the next time? Say the same thing. But um, there is actually a way to, you know, really look through the theory. And one of the things I remember you saying was always talk to people like they're at the top of their intelligence. Yeah. Don't go for like the most obvious joke or assume that they're not going to get it. Assume they're going to get everything because they are, you know? Yeah. And, and on the other side of that, you yourself have to act at the top of your intelligence. Because if you just pretend to not know something that you do know, well, that's just lying. And and when the core of comedy is honesty, well, lying is quite literally the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that that year also is the year that we uh, we were talking about earlier, where uh, COVID kind of cut into things, and we couldn't have an audience even if we wanted to. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> that gave us so much breathing room, right, to be able to really take a look at what we were doing and actually genuinely try and improve our craft with a level of efficiency that I don't really feel like we had beforehand, not to toot my own horn, because I think that it was really all of us that did that and made that possible. No, I definitely agree. I mean, I think there were a lot of great things about every year and, you know, the people's different leadership styles, but um, as someone who's also really interested in kind of the why behind comedy, I also found that really fascinating because comedy is such a weird thing, right? That it's so fun, so entertaining, but at the same time, there's so, so much behind it. And in a different way than, you know, a movie or a play, you can tell how much work went into it. But a good joke is so well executed that it seems so casual and effortless. Then all of a sudden you're like, you know, when you unpack it, you realize how much went into it to make an actual point um or to be delivered the way that it was that you reacted in a certain way because you know anyone could say like a good comedian could probably make most things funny 
and a, a bad one could probably make a funny story really dull. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, uh, I've also been there firsthand. <laughs> um, so why do you think that honesty and truth is the core of comedy? First of all, uh, that what you just talked about there, I'm going to give you a little book recommendation. It's How to Write Funny by Scott Dickers. Scott Dickers was the editor, the first editor-in-chief of The Onion, I think. Uh, so the man certainly knew what he was talking about. But I, he, he brings up this idea that comedy is, is like this nebulous cloud that we could not possibly understand, uh, that nobody really knows why somebody laughs at a joke. And then he immediately challenges that. You know, people talk about how comedy is subjective, but if comedy is subjective, why are some people able to make an entire auditorium of people laugh and other people are just dull? <laughs> well, maybe it's because there is some kind of a, a science to it. It might be a little bit difficult to, to nail down exactly the specifics of every little thing, but maybe there really is something that is objective and teachable about comedy, which is an, a fascinating premise to come about this from. As far as your question on like why truth is funny, I mean, it's a very, that's a really tough question to answer, right? Like it's so hard to know why we laugh at something, but I do think that part of it is uh, relatability. You know, you, uh, we all have our own experiences and our own lives, but when somebody makes an, an observation or a value judgment that speaks to you, when they say what you, <laughs> what's the, the phrase, he's saying what we're all thinking, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, uh, it, you know, it makes you feel smart. It makes the uh, comedian look smart. And there's that moment of like a link, right? Where you suddenly feel like you're right there in the, the comedian's shoes and in their experiences when, when you hear them say something that is so truthful and honest and vulnerable. And I, I think that's part of the reason why honesty can be so funny. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think even... If something's not relatable, I think with a good comedian, their storytelling ability really um, is able to bring you along so that you're in the moment with them and you're in the same perspective mm -hmm. that they see things through. And in that way, specificity and honesty can go a long way in making something be really funny. Uh, because even if it's not something that you yourself have experienced, the comedian has crafted a world that you can believe in so much that you're able to find it funny the same way that they do. Before we keep talking, let's back it up a bit and explain to everyone what sketch, improv, and stand-up are. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I both I don't I don't actually know for certain where your uh, journey started, but for me, obviously, it started with improv, and improv is pretty self-explanatory. It is improvised comedy. It is going up on stage and making everything up on the spot, but also it's inherently collaborative. It has the mm -hmm. nickname within the sphere of comedy, Art by Committee, which I think is so apt because you can't have improv with one person. The way it works is that at the core, you are asking a question before everything you say, which is, if this unusual thing is true, what else is true? And continuing to explore and build a world like that requires a kind of ping pong between you and, and at least one other person where you can't pong until your partner has pinged. Uh, you have to make a discovery for another person to be able to ask a question and or for another person to be able to ask that question to themselves, rather, uh, to be able to ask, well, if that's true, what's true? And po posing their own discovery and their own idea about where this world might go. And so... 
improv is is a collaborative uh on the spot kind of comedy sketch comedy is kind of most of what i do now and it's scenes it's a it's short form plays almost about comedy so it's pre-written and it, it, there's a cast of characters that are placed into a circumstances and then you see how they navigate it it's it really is a, a, a short play and the interesting thing about sketch and writing sketch is that oftentimes it is very similar principles to what you would apply to improv except that all that has to happen in your own head in the moment when you're writing and then it gets retold when it comes out on stage and so you almost become multiple people in your mind when you sit down to write it but the end result is very very similar to improv where it necessitates uh multiple human elements mhm and i remember um i wasn't involved with sketch comedy just improv but um from improv i remember something that we talked about that really surprised me was that plot was more important than the actual jokes themselves mm-hmm. i remember someone telling me this when i was a freshman and i was like i don't get it <laughs> we're a comedy group what do you mean being funny isn't the most important part and then the way it was explained to me was like you know anyone can kind of get up there and throw jokes um but that's not really what improv is and that's not really what sketch is either it's it's telling a story or a, like a short play or skit like you said mm-hmm. um and so if you don't have that actual foundation of a story that somebody is watching where action is happening and it's taking you towards a resolution then you're kind of throwing random jokes at the audience, which is more like stand-up, which is great, but that's not the intention of something where you're trying to have a larger actual arc of what's going on. So is that true for sketch as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, <laughs> I working with a, a sketch group and a very large team of writers means that you get a lot of different approaches for how to tell a story. And, and I do want to make something clear uh, and it's very obvious, but it's important for us always to keep in mind, which is that if somebody laughs, it's comedy. You, you did it. And <laughs> even if you can't explain it or dissect it or, or understand it, it is comedy. Uh, so, you know, sometimes my approach, which can be very uh, rigorous sometimes, uh, is not the only one. And I've worked with a lot of other writers who uh, the way that they construct a sketch can often kind of just be in an avalanche of things happening. And that still makes people laugh. Uh, It's just a very different approach, but certainly for me, I definitely want there to be a narrative because what you were mentioning earlier about, you know, less experienced standup can often mean just joke, laugh, joke, laugh, joke, laugh. And it's transactional. You know, the, the comedian gives a joke, the audience gives a laugh everyone leaves uh, pleased with what they have received in this exchange. Um, and that, you know, good stand-up and also good improv and good sketch is not that. It, it, uh, it's something that pulls you in and it makes you want to experience more. And that's uh, the beauty of a narrative is, well, gee, howdy, that's what it's for. And to me, I think there's a little bit of a trade-off there that, um, yes, it's exciting to hear an audience laugh second after second after second. But you give up some of those laughs all the way through, you know, parts of the beginning and middle for a payoff at the end, basically, where somebody's been with you on that ride the whole time. And then when it comes to the end, all of a sudden they get it um, and they get the point that you're bringing them to and they get why it's funny. And um, even though you don't have those laughs all the way through, you do have people super engaged at the edge of their seat waiting to be taken along with you 
for the payoff at the end, which is like a big laugh. It's very satisfying. <laughs> so what have been some of your struggles um, now that you're, you can talk about sketch if you want, since you're more focused on that, but what are some things that you're trying to uh, either get better at or work on or what have been some of your struggles in like making a piece that you feel really proud of? Hmm. Well, I um, obviously, you know, leading organizations is very, very difficult, especially with sketch comedy, because an absurd amount of work goes into that. And important to me for quite a long time has been not just, you know, how do I advance my own craft, but how do I communicate to others how to advance their craft? I had to start at the very basics of like how to lead, you know, being able to criticize and being able to be honest with somebody and tell them why something might not be the strongest choice was so scary to me when I first got thrust into the position where I had the power to say something like that. But the reality is sometimes you need to say something for something to get fixed. And that's not necessarily a comedy thing. That's just uh, that's just something Grant had to deal with. As far as um, sketch comedy, you know, I directing and writing have kind of been more my focus there rather than acting because I feel like uh, from the outside, if you're a director, a, a decent director will have the power to fix almost any acting error or mistake that they see. And uh, so it can sometimes be a more, I guess, not more valuable position because everybody is of equal value when you're working in an environment of that. But sometimes you have a lot more sway and power. Starting from the very top of the writing process, though, you know, I wanted to lay the right groundwork for how you uh, for how you approach comedy writing. And so I did, goodness, I, I actually need to back up even further than this. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> when for I, it. Yeah, when I took over Deep Fried, you know, at the time, the way the Deep Fried worked was... By the way, Deep Fried is our improv group. I don't think yes. I said the name right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have specified. Uh, I, I realized, not so much I realized, it was very clear to almost anybody there that the way that the organization worked is that we taught the forms, like the, the traffic rules of improv, and then once we had two, three forms in our heads, then we just kind of did that for the rest of the semester, uh, really rest of the year. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to see if we could find a new, I guess, a new way to learn rather than just kind of doing over and over and over again with very little direction or understanding of why something is going right or why something is going wrong. And so I pulled out uh, Truth and Comedy, uh, which is a book by Sharna Halpern, Del Close, and Kim Howard Johnson, who were all a part of the Improv Olympic in Chicago, which sadly, I believe, doesn't exist right now. But they kind of were the progenitors of the modern American improv scene uh, when they started their work in the in the 60s and 70s. And, and so finding that specificity for how to improve improv and like why bad improv is bad, why you can notice when something's going wrong was immensely helpful. And it was uh, an amazing forward progression for our team in the time that we were working with it. Moving over to sketch, when I took over the, the sketch comedy team at our school, I wanted to do the same thing with the writing process, especially laying the right groundwork going into uh pulling in actors and directing and, and creating if, if the scene itself is written well and with intent, with subtext, with satire, then it's so much easier to craft a scene that is great, that is really funny, that, uh, that people remember, that sticks in their mind. And that was when I started getting into uh, Scott Dicker's ideas with his How to Write Funny series. From that, I was thinking, you know, for someone who's listening to this and they're like, I kind of thought I was funny, but now hearing this, 
<laughs> I'm actually not sure at all. Um, you know, I don't know if I have satire. I don't know if I have subtext. I don't know if I have mm-hmm. nuance. How do you think that someone could go about getting some of this knowledge when they don't have the groups that that we did? Well, I think that writing is a great way to get started because nobody has to see it but you. Nobody has to know about it but you. And and so improv is terrifying, right? It's probably the scariest <laughs> one because you you have nothing to fall back on. You have no uh you have no ability to truly really plan and prep yourself to spontaneously go up on stage. Uh, for a scene. There are things that you can learn and habits that you can form that will make improv easier. But at the end of the day, you still have to go out on stage with no plan with uh, trusting yourself and trusting your your partners to create something. So it's easily the scariest one. Um, And if you're the kind of person who likes to just dump yourself into the deep end and make things harder for yourself, then yeah, improv is a great way to get started. Thanks, that was a call out to me. (laughs) I mean, really, throwing yourself into the deep end, it really does teach you to swim faster than most anything else. Um, And so it is a great way to learn. But if you're looking for something lower stakes, writing is a great way to start. And, you know, if you want to craft comedy that has something to say, which is, which is satire, it starts with value judgments. It starts with uh, making observations and opinions about your world. And so like going about your day-to-day life, the thing that I do is that if I see something that's funny or even just makes me think, even if it's not funny at all, even if it's sad or upsetting, I write it down. Just a couple of words, a couple of sentences. So I remember what the heck I was talking about. And then at the end of the week, I kind of, have to exercise the editor part of my brain and look at this list critically and think, could that be funny? Could that still be funny outside of the context that I saw it, outside of the context that I experienced it? And uh, assuming that it is wrapped up in a well-crafted joke, could this be funny? And if it can't be, just cross it off the list. And this kind of builds uh, a discipline in you to uh, not only always be observing and always be absorbing and listening, but also to think critically about the things that you create, uh, to be uh, to be willing to part with babies if they're not everything that you wanted them to be. On the other hand, a comedy writer can't just be an editor. You have to be a clown, too. You have to you have to be silly and spontaneous sometimes, and you have to be willing to create something that is... Uh, <laughs> Not exactly uh, something you'd put on your resume for a serious job. For that, I would recommend folks, and almost all of this is taken right from Scott Dickers, by the way. Uh, I would recommend that people just go ahead and every morning or night or whenever you have the free time, set a timer for 30 minutes, open up your laptop, and just start typing. Uh, Whatever you create is worthwhile. Even if you write over and over and over again, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write that's still exercising something in your brain. And eventually doing this over and over and over again, and also writing down the ideas and the thoughtful things that come to you and crossing off the things that you don't think will last. These two halves of you, this clown half and this editor half will start to converge and you will create something. And eventually you'll be able to look at what you've written down and think, hey, this is funny or thought provoking, or it's something. And that is the catalyst, right? It, it's where a, a great idea can start. And so I think that practice and putting in that kind of time and just being a student of the world 
and being willing to be silly and just put something spontaneous out there on a page or in front of an audience or wherever, that's where comedy really starts. Beyond just conversational humor, being funny when you're around your friends, but being able to produce something that is uh, academically in, in some kind of way really valuable uh, as, a, as a speaking of truth. I think that's, that's a great place to start. Wow. You know what's so fascinating is that we've never talked about this before. And coming from the stand-up side and having, you know, trying to work on that through my podcast, I do almost the exact same thing. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I write down everything I could possibly think of as soon as it pops in my head as a bit, um, you know, on my phone. And the more I do it, definitely the better they've gotten. Like when I look mm-hmm. at the top of the list, I'm like, mm, that's okay. You know, it's like a little funny, but it's not mm-hmm. that funny or like some of them are definitely misses. But then when I look towards the more recent ones, I'm like, okay, a bunch of those are winners. And the more you think about it, the more and practice writing them down, like you said, you'll start to pull out those really good ideas that pop into your head every so often. And you're like, mm-hmm. damn, I thought of that. Like, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, and then it sticks with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you create it and then suddenly it's, it's there. You can't stop thinking about it until you've told somebody or written it down or something. And mm-hmm. I like, <laughs> I guess I don't really know what that means, but it sure feels good. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And it's just like getting it, getting it out of you. And mm-hmm. I find, I mean, I don't do that much comedy writing, um, but I like something that I think improv really helped me with is trusting your instincts. Because mm-hmm. when I record for the podcast, I think there's so much value in the natural way that you would tell a story and the natural way that you would approach a subject. Because mm-hmm you know what funny is. And the more you practice it, the more it's like, you can tweak what you what you do to get better. But I think there's so much value when it comes to stand up in in using your own natural voice, mm. and not making it into some over edited thing that's no longer your actual opinion. Yeah, I think that that's I, I personally think that the greatest stand-up comedians are ones that uh, can leverage their human element and their ability to to tell a story and craft a narrative to pull people in. I, and um, the example that I always give is is George Carlin because I absolutely adore George Carlin. And he, you know, he had a very clear idea of what his character was when he went out on stage. And it was truthfully an, an embodiment of himself and a kind of exaggeration of himself. And so he used that to be able to find subtext about his earth and and he was such a cynical man. He would take the the worst, most uh, bleak take on anything that he sees around him and he would craft a joke around it. And for instance, you know, and this kind of goes into like deconstructing a joke and like where a joke comes from. But if you, if say for an instance, we are George Carlin and we start with, with a value judgment, like, you know, government is really slow. They don't really get anything done. And it doesn't really feel like I have a lot of influence over them. And then you, uh, you wrap that in some kind of a filter, like maybe, uh, maybe like hyperbole, like, oh, the only way that I could uh, that I could fix government is if I like killed somebody, which is a gross exaggeration. And then uh, you deliver that in, in George Carlin's style and you come up with one of my favorite jokes that he ever told, which was you can't fix City Hall, but you can goddamn sure blow it up. And, and it's such, uh, like it's such a delightful merging of George Carlin's own personality, a real genuine judgment about his world and and the ability to craft a, a kind of story and an idea from this 
those two halves. Oh, what a perfect example. Okay, um, before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. So on our improv team, when we held auditions, we used to always ask people what they think is too far in terms of subject matter to joke about. Mm -hmm. What is your answer to this? Well, comedians are... uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we are truth tellers, right? We... um... We make observations about our world, and it's been like that since comedy was uh, created. The person most often credited with the creation of comedy is Aristophanes uh, in ancient Greece. He wrote uh, Lysistrata, the play about uh, women denying men sex until their uh, penises are four feet long. What he did with comedy, what he did with these observations, is that he would judge things that were going on. You know, Lysistrata even with what I just said, what it is is a judgment of the way that Athens was handling its war with Sparta. And so he posed the possibility like, oh, what if women took over the treasury and the armory and stopped allowing their husbands to have sex and thus they got to control the outcome of the war? What would change? How would it be different? What would it look like? It's it's a critical uh, judgment of of society and the way that uh, Athenian Greece felt to him it was a value judgment that was honest and came from aristophanes own life and and values and so if we say that that is comedy's role that we speak truths that are the catalyst for change i think that while that gives us the opportunity to say things that people generally aren't allowed to say socially and i say that with air quotes uh we have to ask ourselves is what we're doing sparking the change that we want to see. And so, you know, we a, a lot of times it, it comes down to punching up versus punching down. <laughs> you explain that concept of punching up? Yeah, absolutely. Punching up is when you take somebody who is of, of higher social standing of you than in some way, somebody who's richer than you, more famous than you, something like that, and making fun of them. Punching down is the opposite. It's taking somebody in lower social standing than you, which could be somebody poorer than you, uh, less fortunate than you, somebody disabled, and making fun of them instead. And I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule that you can never punch down because sometimes punching down is honest. A show that I'm absolutely obsessed with right now is Joe Para Talks With You, which is a a cynicism-free kind of critique of middle American culture, like nowhere America flyover state kind of culture. You know, people in those situations, making fun of them can feel like punching down. Lower middle class people, working class people, people who are just trying to struggle through and live their lives, uh, who face everyday difficulties, it can feel like, oh, I don't want to make fun of that person. But sometimes that's honest. And sometimes that sparks change. And on the other hand, punching up I mean, it's very clear what kind of value that has. You know, the way we fight back, the way we spark change is ridicule. It, it's, it's the roast. It's, it's being critical and being willing to, to question the kind of things that those people pose. So I think that that's the question we need to ask ourselves is like, what kind of change are we trying to spark here? Are we just trying to make fun of people so that we get a laugh? Or, or are we not caring about uh, the well-being of the people that we are uh that we're ridiculing? Are we not caring about uh, the the effects that this could have? Or are we telling jokes with the intent that we might be able to change the world? And I know it's so self-important to say something like that, but genuinely, sometimes 
when you put something out there comedy wise that makes people think it can be the the kind of inspiration for something to get better Jim Henson, you know, he put out the show Fraggle Rock, which was a children's comedy show about, you know, loving each other and togetherness and all that hippy dippy bullshit. But then uh, it aired in the Soviet Union. And then two weeks after it aired, the wall fell in Berlin. And I think that it goes back to truth and comedy, as we literally keep <laughs> tying everything back to. But it's that's why honesty is the key of comedy, because if you're telling your lived experiences and truths and beliefs through your eyes, then it's easy to punch up or even punch down in a way that feels genuine and funny and not rude. Mm. Um, and I, I think, like you were saying, comedy does have so much power, especially for these types of issues that are quote-unquote controversial that people don't want to talk about you know on the senate floor or on the news as much um i was reading recently about some comedians who are actually using stand-up as a way to talk about sexual assault and rape culture and Mm -hmm. when you say it uh just out loud as a subject matter you're like i can't think of anything less funny than talking about (laughs) rape culture yeah but but as we said comedy is really just a trick mirror it's really just holding up a mirror to society and and making Mm -hmm. it a little distorted and turning it around and being like isn't it crazy that that we just put up with this shit that people do that you know (laughs) this harassment or this like you know whatever or um there was another comedian the special Nanette that focused on this comedian's upbringing um, and her really strict upbringing that taught her a lot of hatred, a lot of like anti-LGBTQ sentiments and stuff like that and how she unlearned it and came to terms with like her own identity and stuff. And again, that sounds unbelievably unfunny and so serious, (laughs) but like when you're able to, like you can actually use it as a tool to talk about how people learn prejudice and how fucking crazy it is that we all just come into the world and then decide that like we don't fuck with other people because they have differences from us or whatever but other people who have other differences are okay when when you put it through that lens comedy has such a power that people really underestimate you've reached the voicemail of camellia please hang up and dial again for listening to this episode of pick up the phone our show would not be possible without the support of our amazing team our executive producer is camelia pastor our audio editor is camelia pastor our graphic designer is camelia pastor our marketing team camelia and pastor sales and analytics camelia pastor and of course this season's intern is camelia pastor